what's going on y'all welcome to help students win where we talk about all things education this is jordan h davis professional speaker founder of jd speaks and your podcast host now today we're going to talk about difficult discussions in the classroom we're also going to talk about weed in college classrooms but let's start with this difficult discussions so i know that thanksgiving just passed and there's somebody that's listening or watching this podcast that had a difficult discussion at the Thanksgiving dinner table. I know what happened. We didn't post about it on social media. We posted our plates. We posted our cute outfits. We posted some of the stuff we was thinking about buying on Black Friday. But when it came to the awkward conversations about what's going on in the media, about the several wars that are going on, I know it came up in some households about religion and who's who is and who isn't showing up to church like these are the different things that come up at the thanksgiving dinner table and believe it or not these topics that we're trying to avoid as we're trying to eat our turkey and eat our mac and cheese and eat our sweet potato pie especially in my house i don't know about y'all i'm probably talking to some some pumpkin pie eaters as well Drop it down in the comments or in uh, the show notes. Leave a review about it. Uh, text me which one do you prefer, sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie. But anyway, these difficult discussions are happening in the classroom, especially in this semester. Our students are going through so much in this current time and in this current world, and they're exposed to so many information sources and so many differing viewpoints and opinions. There are students that are both directly and indirectly affected by um, the Palestinian-Israeli war, the Palestinian-Israeli crisis. There are students that are directly and indirectly affected by the war that's happening between Russia and Ukraine and the other countries that are involved in that. There are students that are directly and indirectly affected by the war between Turkish citizens and, uh, you know, Kurdish nationalists, right? Like these are the things that students, when they walk into the classroom and they sit into their desks, uh, they sit into their chairs and they scoot up to their desk. These are the things that are on their minds. And as educators, this is important for us to consider. One of the biggest pieces of pushback that I get from educators when it comes to talking about facilitating and encouraging difficult discussions in the classroom is the response of, oh, I'm not a therapist. <laughs> like, that's not my job. Like, I, I facilitate curriculum. I give students the materials. I'll answer a question about the math problem, but I am not a therapist. And see, one of the challenges with that is that we, we act like students aren't having these conversations already. And we act like these topics around sexual assault, around diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, around uh, religious beliefs, around war and conflict. We act like these discussions aren't coming up in the workplace. And they do. And when they don't come up, they're at the very least impacting how adults, working professionals, engage with and communicate with each other. And there's harm done when there isn't a place for us as adults and as students process how these things are affecting our work and our learning. And as an educator, if you are invested in the development and the learning of your students, being able to facilitate difficult discussions is a key skill to have. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you another reason why. 
the ability to have difficult discussions in and of itself is a skill that students benefit from learning. So having difficult discussions should be a learning goal for you as an educator, because again, as students, whether you're trying to change the world, whether you're trying to be a politician, or whether you're trying to build websites, you're gonna be communicating with somebody in that process, right? Like you're gonna be serving somebody in that process. And even there are problem, there might be somebody listening to this podcast that is about banning books and is about banning critical race theory in our schools. And look, what I would wanna say about that is race and sexuality and how and you know other social characteristics that we identify with how we show up in the world impacts how we treat others it impacts how we treat ourselves and if we are teaching students to be leaders in the field that we're teaching in if we're teaching students to be leaders in math if we're teaching students to be leaders in biology if we're teaching students to be leaders in education then having difficult discussions and having students be reflective about how our social systems are impacting them and their communities should be a goal that is top of mind for us. And again, there, and I, I will tell you a couple of weeks ago when I was doing um, a workshop as part of my, my work as a speaker, I was facilitating um, a conversation with faculty. And one of the questions that came up was, am I really supposed to be having these discussions? Like, I feel like every time I have one of these, the students, they walk away and they're angry. And, um, you know, I don't know whether they actually learned something. And so I want to say that we don't want to create environments where we're intentionally triggering our students. We don't want to create environments where students are so overcome by their emotions that there's no learning that's happening. But we also have to realize that these conversations are not meant to be perfect. Learning is not meant to be perfect. And so we have this idea that students are going to sit down and uh, everyone's going to be tame and we, we get to completely control the classroom. We get to control who stands up and who raises their voice. That is an unrealistic expectation for us as educators. And it is an unrealistic expectation of our students to do that. And so, again, at being able to have difficult discussions about things that not only impact student learning, but there are also difficult discussions that connect directly with uh, the content in your course. And so if you're teaching a business course, what would it look like? to have a discussion with your students about work-life balance and what that looks like, what it's like to be an entrepreneur and work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. How are people doing it? What happens to those folks? What data is out there about the mental, physical, uh, emotional, and social health of folks who go into business? Like These are the types of conversations that we could have in the classroom that students could really benefit from. And there's something to bringing experts in to talk about it, right? Like I'm not saying that you have to do it completely alone, but it's also understanding that uh, this is a skill that we're trying to build within students. And if we don't address it, it communicates to our students that we don't see them, that we don't see what they're going through, that we don't see that something is impacting them. And so uh, this, as you can see, this podcast is going to be about difficult conversations in the classroom. 
And really what I want to get to before we dive into it is that there's different types of difficult discussions. Jordan, how do I know that I'm in a difficult conversation with my students? Um, difficult discussions are, and there's three characteristics that I put to it. And there's a great colleague, um, Daniela Branca Forte. Also, shout out to uh, shout out to Jocelyn Lewis, who also, uh, you know, kind of provided this framework for me. But there are three characteristics of a difficult discussion. The first characteristic is that it is highly emotional. The second one is that there's differing opinions. And then the third one is that it's high stakes. So those are like the three main characteristics of a difficult discussion. If it's highly emotional, if it has differing opinions, and if it has high stakes, you are finding yourself in a difficult discussion. And this could range anywhere from in week eight of the semester, you've planned this out, like you've got your fishbowl activity, you've got your small group discussions, and you've got the big discussion all planned out, or a student asked, like a student asked me this past summer, so can we talk about affirmative action? Like, what is it and what does it mean to me as a student? I say, oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about, right? And, and it comes up literally just like that. And we have to, it's important for us to develop in this area, right? And I'm certainly not perfect in facilitating difficult discussions, um, but Imagine students being imaginative and create and creative in the classroom and your first response is to shut it down. And I've seen this happen play out in real time where a student is trying to connect what they're learning outside of the classroom to what they're learning inside of the classroom. And there's a real connection to be made. Right? It's not just students trying to intentionally do this to distract you or to you know throw off the educator in the room. This is a student who's trying to create understanding. And we have a rich opportunity as educators to help students in that development, in that understanding. And so the first step for our educators in navigating difficult discussions with students is to decenter yourself. I'm gonna say it again, it's important for us to decenter ourselves as educators. So often we feel responsible for managing and controlling the classroom. And I understand that this could be really challenging, especially in working with younger students. But for this one, I'm really talking to my high school and college educators, like young adults in the classroom, like teenagers in the classroom who have thoughts, who have opinions, who have rich, rich life experiences uh, that they're bringing into these learning environments. And we have to decenter ourselves. What is an example of this? Uh, so often, Maisie Maud, who is uh, who's an educational researcher, specifically focused on uh, you know holistic teaching and student well-being, says that there are these unwritten agreements that are had between the student and the teacher, and also the student and their classmates. And so we have to intentionally break down these expectations of, okay, what does participation look like in this class? Who holds the knowledge and the expertise in this class? It's certainly not me. I don't hold all of it, right? I hold a lot of it because you're taking this class because I'm teaching it. But at the same time, the collective knowledge of all the, in the collective experiences of all the students in this room is greater than my individual, what I have to give to the student. And then also what do students want to learn? Right. So setting up your class where in the beginning, the first week, the first two weeks, the first three weeks, students have an opportunity to contribute to the learning goals of the course. And sometimes 
difficult discussions are going to come up in that. Um, I teach an education technology course in the summer. And one of the main questions that I ask is, uh, how do you see this class working best for your learning goals? What is a topic that if we didn't cover in this class, you will be frustrated or disappointed? The first day of class, before I even introduce myself, I line up the desk and I have a small class, right? I, I am privileged in that. I only have 14 students during the summer and they're amazing. They're all amazing. Um, you know, I set up the desk in speed dating fashion. So it's a desk in front of a desk and there's rows. There's two rows with the desk facing each other. And for literally the first 45 minutes of the class, students are just rotating, getting to know each other, talking to each other. I have rotating prompts on the board that I have a student go up and spin the wheel. It's a digital wheel. And on each prong of the wheel, on each section of the wheel, there's a question. What do you see in 2050? Like, how do you see the world looking in 2050? Talk about a rich educational experience for you. What are you most excited about? this summer so really getting students to learn about each other and learn with each other before they even encounter me as an educator and so again and i sit down with the students and i do this too right it's not just me standing at the front I actually engage with students in this right and so um that's the first step is kind of decentering yourself and allowing students to see the value and communicating with each other so that later in the semester when it's time to have the difficult discussion, students are comfortable, students build trust, students build rapport and relationships so that that conversation um, is a generative and effective one. The second thing I want to share is that it's important to create guidelines on day one with your students and have those guidelines queued up. Don't be afraid to rely on them and to bring them back up uh, later on in the semester. And so usually in this first class period, as you're going through your syllabus, uh, I've seen faculty do this really well where they might start off with one class expectation. It might be to value learning and collaboration over competition, right? Like having it very con concrete like that with students. And you'll be amazed of the guidelines and the expectations that students come up with for the class. And then when it comes time for a difficult discussion or if it erupts or if it if you, if you see it developing in the class, that's a perfect time to ask students, OK, before we get too deep into this or before we start this class today, I just want to show the guidelines that we came up with together in week one. How are we feeling about these guidelines at this point in the semester? Is there anything that you would change or add to this list of expectations for us as a group? Is there something that we could be doing better as a group? as we try to stay in alignment with these guidelines. And so again, creating guidelines with students and not being uh, afraid to lean on those uh, when the time calls for it. The third one is to scaffold the conversation and give students opportunities to practice. I am a master's degree student right now and I'm taking a class on education policy. So K through 12 education policy. And we had a beautiful class session uh, and this was around mid-October where the faculty members started the class session with, again, going over the guidelines that we had set in week one. We had our guidelines. We, uh, we didn't make any adjustments to the guidelines. We probably talked about them for about three minutes. The next thing that we turned to was a video. It was actually a podcast recording about the Palestinian-Israeli crisis. 
and about the nuance and the complexity of the situation. It was only about a five minute video. And then after that, we had a free write for about three minutes, three to five minutes, just writing, you know, in, in response to the particular question that was on the board. So this faculty member showed the video and then we had a question on the board. How do you see the Palestinian-Israeli conflict affecting your work in life as a student? Like, how does this issue affect how you show up in the classroom and in your professional setting? And, and again, we're master's degree students. This was such a powerful question and it opened up the discussion and having us reflect on, again, the learning experience. The question wasn't, what are your thoughts on this issue or which side are you on? Like, these are not the types of questions that are helpful for students in their learning and their ability to have these discussions. It's really about uh, the learning process. Like, how are you receiving information about this? Like, what uh, what conversations are coming up for you? What areas of development are you looking to uh, gain? What areas of understanding are you looking to develop around this particular topic? Right? These are the kinds of questions that students can benefit from uh, when it comes to that and realize that it was scaffolded. So we started with a video. We were anchored in information that showed uh, the nuance and complexity of the topic that we were going to talk about. And then we had a free write where we were able to write our thoughts and get our thoughts on paper before we shared them even verbally. And then after the free write, we had an opportunity to talk to the person next to us for about five minutes. And then we got to the big class discussion. So we're talking about a 20 minute on ramp from the start of class to us actually having an open discussion about how the topic was affecting us as students. And it was affecting us as students. And we are back. Hopefully it doesn't cut out again. I had some full iPhone storage, so I had to clear some of that off, but we are back. As we were talking about difficult discussions in the classroom, it's important to scaffold these discussions. So let's review what we've talked about already. First, to decenter yourself. Then we create guidelines on day one and have them handy for when these conversations come up. We scaffold the conversation and give students opportunities to practice. And then the fourth thing that I want to talk about is as an educator, practicing your language and how you're calling students into these discussions. And so there are students that are that are particularly quiet, whether they're quiet on a regular basis or they're quiet when these conversations come up. And a lot of times the the large personalities in the classroom can command a lot of the energy around these discussions. And so as an educator, being able to say, um, Andrew, thank you so much for your passion around this. I want to make sure that we get to some of the other thoughts that we have in the room. Uh, would anyone else like to speak to what's already been said in this conversation? Or getting to the point where you can say with your students, um, there's different ways that we can go about it, right? So what topic or what lens of the topic have we not talked about yet? Like what is a perspective that we're that we might be overlooking or hasn't been discussed? What would this particular author say about this issue, right? So bringing in other viewpoints and other uh, folks who are experts on this particular topic or throughout the class that 
provide a lens, that provide theories, that provide different ways of looking at a particular topic. And so that's a that's a, a way of calling students in, but also calling different perspectives and again, bringing that nuance into, into the discussion. Another thing that I want to share is focusing on the learning experiences and understanding of the complexity of the issue and not on their thoughts on a particular topic or intentionally calling out students and bringing up potential traumas for students. And again, when you center students in their development and you say with students, this is why we're talking about this this discussion. I know that, or I sense that this topic might be impacting you in your work. I know that it's affecting folks around you. As a student, as a learner, as a professional, right? So allowing there to be a connection between what students are learning in the classroom and the topic that they might be grappling with. The last thing that I'll share about difficult discussions is to uh, is to reframe the language of debate. And there are literal classes that are built on debate and students are encouraged and incentivized to debate with each other. And so it's so important to intentionally eliminate that expectation of students especially for topics again when it talk when we talk about uh, sexual assault, drug addiction, uh, world conflicts, political issues, the impact of media on wellness, right what's happening in the media and all of these different topics that come up for students and so I uh, hope this list was helpful. It's certainly not exhaustive, but it's something that we need to continue to talk about as educators. As educators, And again, I want to assure you, I want to reassure you that I want to reassure you that if you're having these discussions in your classroom, you are doing your students a better service than if you weren't having these discussions. All right, now we're going to segue to one of my favorite segments that I'm still struggling to name. Maybe y'all can help me out with that. Uh, but this one, I'm going to call it crazy stuff that happened in education today. All right, so a crazy. All right, welcome back to the show. Thank you for your patience as we try to figure this thing out in episode two. Now we're heading into our new segment called crazy stuff that happened in education today. So one of the crazy things that happened in education today is that Southeast Technical College uh, it's a small college, a small technical college in South Dakota is trying to propose a cannabis education requirement for practitioners in the state. Jordan, what do you mean by practitioners? So people who own and operate dispensaries and then also uh, pharmaceutical representatives who are giving recommendations to South Dakota residents about medicinal marijuana. Now, uh, Marijuana is both recreationally and medicinally uh, legal in the state of South Dakota. That's an important thing to note. Um, also, there are very few certification programs that currently exist in the Midwest outside of those that are in California. And so um, I believe South Dakota is bordered by Minnesota, North Dakota, um, and I think Nebraska is one of the other states that borders South Dakota. And so um, not only would they be opening up this opportunity to uh, those who operate in uh, the state, but this could be potentially broadened uh, to folks who operate in uh, the surrounding area, uh, especially depending on what kind of laws they have set up uh, around uh, marijuana and medicinal use. Now, 
where I am most interested is where is this class going to be offered? Now, the vice president of the university said that they have the capacity to offer in-person classes, to offer uh, virtual classes and hybrid classes. So they're trying to run the whole gamut uh, and probably trying to get a whole lot of money, too, uh, from operating this course. People in opposition to this certification course are uh, worried about the price of it, especially because there's not a lot of competition in the area right now. And anybody really who is against, uh, you know, marijuana being legal in the state is obviously against it too. And so uh, this college has a few things going against them. I acknowledge that this is pretty innovative. So this is something that um, I am not particularly familiar with. Um, it could be really helpful for students who are thinking about uh, careers in health education administration or health administration or those who are, again, already uh, operating dispensaries and those who are pharmaceutical uh, representatives. Um, the, I mean, I guess the argument that the college is making is that the dispensary should be just as knowledgeable about marijuana as the pharmacy techs, because at the end of the day, um, you know, the state of South Dakota has its own laws around marijuana, but they still have to adhere uh, to federal laws around uh, marijuana at the same time. And so these pharmaceuticals, they can make recommendations for the dosage, the dosages that uh, people should be taking for medicinal uses. But at the end of the day, it's really up to, to the dispensary. The dispensary has the discretion uh, because there are uh, federal laws that allow for that uh, type of relationship. Now, we can't look over the economics of it again um this this is a growing economy in the state of south dakota as it is in a lot of other states uh and it's important to look at other states too like when you talk about massachusetts for example they have particularly strict certification requirements uh within the state uh around medicinal uh marijuana who can operate it what type of uh education and certification you need in order to be a part of that industry where you take a state like oregon for example on the opposite of the spectrum who has uh less restrictions around who can be involved with this. And really the certification program from what I'm reading in this inside higher ed article is really meant to embed uh, things like ethics, things like financial management uh, around uh, medicinal marijuana, you know, medicinal marijuana and just making sure that it's done safely and responsibly uh, within the state. But y'all know I'm here for the jokes too. So what I'm really interested in is maybe we could do a study. Like, is there a correlation between the students that are in this program and the students that are using recreational marijuana? Like, is there a strong correlation between the two? Because really, the key, the target audience here is the 18 to 24 year olds in South Dakota. And really, there's a valid argument for it because, um, I know South Dakota is one of the states that focuses a lot on career and technical education. It focuses a lot on, uh, you know, technical related fields. And this is definitely one of those fields, again, that's growing in the state. And so if you're trying to not only cater to those who are already engaged in that economy, but also expose it to uh, graduating high school seniors who might be interested, those who are already in college uh, coming off of their associate's, associate's degree, um, I think this might benefit a lot of different parties. Really, the loser in this is the parents, right? Like, it's trying to get your student to stay home. I know as a student, I would be advocating real hard for trying to live on campus. <laughs> uh, and and I, don't, I don't 
partake. But if I did, I'll be really strategic about how I presented this opportunity to my parents. But again, uh, a story that I'm definitely going to be following to see the relationship between Southeast Technical College and the state of South Dakota, how this affects the laws in the state, um, and then also what the opposition looks like from those who uh, don't want marijuana to be legal at all in the state. And so I'm always fascinated by the relationship between state laws and uh, both state and private education when it comes to higher ed. And so with that, thank you so much for joining. Uh, this is Jordan Davis. You have just heard the Help Students Win podcast where we talk about all things education, and I'll see y'all next week.